it needs to talk about financial resources. How is this going to be financed? You know, how the burden is going to be, you know, shared together, not just by, you know, some, you know, these countries that really do not have any resources and support. My name is Wu Yufei. I am a Sustainable Asia producer based in China. And I'm Marcy Trent Long, executive producer of Sustainable Asia. I'm replacing our guest host, Jennifer Turner, for this episode because she's a bit under the weather. Well, it's pretty clear from the voice you just heard of Linda Yandi Sulistiawadi, who was interviewed earlier in this series, that we need money here in Asia to help fund the programs that tackle plastic waste. Yep, there's a wide variety of experiments out there, and we're going to pick out two for this episode that really got us optimistic. Can a global recycled plastic commodity exchange encourage recycling in Asia? And what if the UN Plastic Treaty also created standards that allowed companies with oversized plastic footprints to use plastic credits and offset their excess plastic waste by financing much-needed projects in Asia? Sounds like a dream to me, but sometimes dreams do come true, right? Super. Go for it. So, so my name, I'm Doug Woodring, uh, the founder of Ocean Recovery Alliance. Uh, it's based in Hong Kong and uh, California. Uh, we've been working on global plastic pollution issues uh, for almost 12 years. I'm the lead expert for the Rebound Exchange. And Miriam will tell you a bit more about that. All right. Hi, everyone. So I'm Mariam Mansouri, currently the general manager at Rebound Plastics Exchange. Uh, I have a background of working with the UAE government and other governments on a global scale. So I've been a civil servant uh, since the beginning of my career. Uh, Rebound is my first yet uh, most exciting private sector experience. Rebound, a commodity exchange for recycled plastic waste and a partnership between the UAE government and the founder of a Hong Kong NGO that protects the ocean. How did that happen? Well, given that the UAE is a hub in its region and Hong Kong is a hub in in the other region, uh, I think that's where uh, great minds that think that I connect Um, It was the energy and passion uh, that uh, drove Rebound from an idea um, on paper to a business rolling out in reality. Uh, The concept came during 2020, once the pandemic hit and locked down and seeing all the plastics accelerate rather than decrease and realizing how, um, you know, with, with closed borders, really, countries do face difficulties in businesses to move this um high demanded product, uh, you have multinationals and big brands and even governments today uh, wanting to include PCR in their uh, product. And so that's how Rebound Plastics Exchange uh, turned from a concept to reality. PCR, by the way, is post-consumer recycled plastic. 
It refers to the plastic that has been collected, sorted, cleaned, and recycled, and ready for a second life. You might hear the term a few times in this episode. Okay, so this partnership to create a PCR exchange is formed, but how is Rebound going to work, and why again do we need it? Right. Uh, as you know, probably many big global brands have wanted to increase their recycled content use by 20 to 30 percent in just three or four or five years. And that,、uh, we believe, will create a short more than six million tons of material yearly. Sounds like a good argument for a more efficient way to trade recycled plastic. But how did this shortfall come about? So over the last decades, we've all collectively been sort of relying on recycling to be a big solution for the plastic pollution problems. But unfortunately, many countries, you know, even the West, who have sent a lot of their material to other countries just for、um, lower wages. In forty years ago, fifty years ago, the recycling systems were well built for paper. And metal, and maybe glass, and plastic came along with all of its variations in color and shape and size, made it very difficult to、uh, unmix that material and make it valuable. And so the recycling system has lost a lot of trust globally,、uh, not only in specific municipalities where communities thrive, but also in international trade. And we think this is the biggest logjam,、uh, which is、um, problematic, particularly when we start talking about the plastic treaty. Interesting. Why is that? It's very difficult to have a domestic circular economy for plastic because either the country doesn't have the capacity to process it and clean it. Where it might not have the capacity to even absorb it in manufacturing, they might not have manufacturing in that country. And so, by creating this exchange with certification and verification and trust, we can、um, allow、uh, buyers and sellers to feel confident that they're getting the material they want and can use. If we don't allow this to happen to the users who can actually properly use it. Then we're leaving it、uh, stuck in most of these economies, without the options for for recovering it and making value from it, which means they have to dump it or burn it or do something that we don't like. Like having it leak into the ocean, right? So, we believe that our system, Rebound Exchange, allowing sellers who couldn't find new markets for their products. If they can come up the value、uh, stream and and make a better bale,、uh, learn how to sort things better, then、uh, the buyers on the other end say, "Wow, we you know we know this is good material." Now the seller has a new market to sell to and solves the plastic pollution problem locally with better waste management. And we think this will fit perfectly into any dialogue、uh, with the plastic treaty because recycled content has to be. Really, a part of that whole、uh, solution set. But there's a lot of hoops to go through before a global PCR exchange like Rebound can be created. 
First, we need to free up the international trade of plastic waste again. Government uh, right now also uh, announced a policy with uh, uh, no more uh, plastic waste from uh, uh, other uh, countries. That was Dr. Simachaya, head of the Thailand Environment Institute. He told me the government of Thailand had to block the import of all plastic waste because of the pandemic. Thailand also facing with the uh, overwhelming of uh, plastic waste, especially during the uh, COVID nineteen pandemic. Uh, we stay home, but plastic increasing uh, because of the uh, uh, food delivery. Just why uh, uh, during the COVID nineteen in the last city in Thailand. Uh, plastic waste increasing more than 50%. So Thailand couldn't take on imported plastic waste as well. And there's another reason why Thailand may have blocked the import of unsorted plastic waste. Doug explains. So the Basel Amendment came into force uh, last year, January 2021. And it is meant to stop the flow of plastic waste, which is um, contaminated. Uh, the unfortunate thing is that this amendment was written very quickly in terms of global treaty amendment type documentation. And a lot of the wording is nebulous and hard to interpret. And so it's very hard for governments to actually, uh, who don't maybe have the resources and the enforcement to know what is good feedstock and a commodity and what is bad feedstock and what should be traded and not traded. And, and when uh, the environmental community and some of the, uh, the press would, would get on top of governments for importing or exporting material uh, incorrectly, a lot of governments have put their hands up and said, we're not going to take anymore. COVID has definitely put a damper on plastic waste reduction globally. For sure. But here's a question. Do you still think that it'll help to ban certain types of single-use plastic in the Global Plastic Treaty? Or is Rebound planning to recycle those less common plastics? You know, the ones with recycling numbers three through seven? So we are focusing on all types of plastics. In terms of the platform and what's going to be traded, at first, yes, it would be in phases. So when it comes to PET, HDPE, et cetera, we, we've prioritized um, a few specifications. And then over the next months, so every maybe three to four months, we'd be releasing more and more uh, standards of what can be traded onto the exchange. Miriam also said they'd start with the high-demand plastic like PET and HDPE, you know, the kind of plastic used for beverages, personal care, and cleaning products. If I could just add into that, um, you know, uh, it's a bit of chicken and egg. A lot of uh, the other materials, three, four, five uh, families of plastic today aren't so much collected because there isn't a big market for them. And when we create a standardization and certification protocol, but when, a, when an entrepreneur or a recovery facility or a municipality realizes that um, Plastics 345 can now have a market, 
um, that creates a the needed demand pull uh, for that recycled material to be collected and recovered in those communities. And so we believe that as we get moving, um, the capacity and in growth for uh, infrastructure, uh, whether that's big or small, to feed into this system so that the aggregators can receive more of that material will start to happen. And therefore, the volumes of the other materials will start to rise. So if the rebound plastic exchange does take off, what would it mean for us here in Asia? Now with the brand really looking for larger amounts of uh, recycled content, it is possible that a trade would go from one uh, community and one country into another one, even within Asia, to be processed for use in manufacturing, which is flakes and pellets, and then even shipped again to the user of those pellets into the manufacturing systems. And what about China? And we actually believe that China will be very interested in this, very excited. The reason that they um, closed their borders a number of years ago was because they didn't have the capacity to enforce and check the quality of material that was coming in at such large volumes. Now with our certification protocol uh, and a trusted system of digital certification, uh, tracking and tracing, it will be much easier for uh, even a government like China to realize, wow, this is real material that we can use in our uh, factories, in our processes. So Rebound, with its new standards for recycled plastic qualifications and certifications, would hopefully increase the amount of recycled plastic traded globally. Once they figure out how to do it alongside the Basel Convention with its unsorted plastic waste trade restrictions. Good point. If Rebound can get through this hurdle, it could be a kind of way to encourage more solid waste management infrastructure in some Asian countries, right? And that leads us to another way to whip up better plastic waste management in Asia that could also be developed alongside a UN Global Plastic Treaty. What if there are um, now corporate funding that could pour into better infrastructure to digest the volume of plastic trash that's floating out there in the oceans, in our environment, um, even in our landfills? There's so much plastic out there, and a lot of it is still very valuable. That was Maggie Lee of the nonprofit Vera. She's describing what's called a plastic credit, whereby a company can offset their plastic footprint in one country by funding plastic waste reduction programs in another. Vera is most known for the standards it uses to verify carbon credits under the Paris Agreement. And now Vera is trying to extend this same concept to plastic credits. So we asked Maggie, who is originally from Hong Kong and based now in Bangkok, Thailand, about the milestone steps that created a successful carbon credit market. With the idea that maybe plastic credits could follow this path? Right. 
Actually, Maggie said that the first step was the recent approval of Article Six to the Paris Agreement that sets out new rules to make international carbon markets work. Then number two is that there are now so many different voluntary commitments of big corporations coming out, and most of them are multinational corporates, MNCs,、um, and they all say some sort of like along the lines of net zero or carbon neutrality, something like that. And so it creates a lot of demand for carbon crediting projects in developing countries. And that sounds a lot like the plastic reduction commitments a lot of companies made under the Ellen MacArthur Foundation Plastic Pact and the G7 Ocean Plastics Charter. Okay, I'm starting to see a lot of similarities between the development of carbon credit markets and plastic credits. And lastly, there are regional carbon markets as well. So, for example, the one in Australia, the IPCAS,、um, is actually a regional initiative,、um, especially for the small island states. And uh, um, many of the Southeast Asian countries where I'm living right now,、um, they are also trying to set up domestic carbon markets as well. So that's quite a lot going on because corporates want one thing, and then many countries across the world can offer exactly what they wanted. So we have to create some sort of a mechanism. For us to en- enable this type of tension, right? And this is where Vera steps in. They're a nonprofit organization that verifies the credibility of these carbon emission reduction projects. To date, they've reduced or removed almost a billion tons of carbon or other greenhouse gas emissions from the atmosphere. Wow! Can you imagine reducing the much plastic waste through plastic credits? But are there any plastic credit programs happening now in Asia? That is a half yes and half no, I would say, because.、Um, In many countries, there's still no such thing as extended producer responsibility just yet, and so this is just、um, a, a very simple concept. When producers, manufacturers, importers, and brand owners they're packaging in any type of plastic or, and or other materials, including glass, aluminum, and also、um, and paper, these types of materials should be put back into circulation, and the brands that are、uh, responsible for bringing them into the market. Should also be responsible for making sure that this packaging is circular, and so picking them up and also recycling them. These are two main actions associated with EPR. So、um, right now, there's quite a lot of different EPR schemes that are coming up、um, in different countries. India has already stipulated that in their guidelines for EPR. So they've already clearly said that plastic credits is an avenue to fulfill extended producer responsibility. We're definitely looking forward to see how that would unfold. And how they would actually、um, define what constitutes a plastic credit? That's encouraging. Yeah, but what types of projects would plastic credits fund in Asia? So, for example, our first registered project、um, by Second Life Thailand, where I am right now, actually in Thailand, is that they they have been collecting and recycling waste、um, from the coastal areas of Thailand and island communities for quite a long time, and so、um, Thailand is、uh, one of the top. Uh, countries in terms of、uh, being plagued by、um, plastic pollution. Sometimes it's leaked from the country itself. Sometimes it's actually floating, like it just arrived by、um, by the waterways in the ocean from other countries as well. So、um, these projects that are ongoing、uh, are now receiving financial incentives and are receiving training and technical support、um, to to informal and waste、uh, to and informal waste collectors 
and or recycling agents, particularly in these areas that are lacking waste management infrastructure. So there are so many places in the world that are plagued by uh, plastic pollution, but at the same time, there's really no good way for them to dispose of this plastic or manufacture it into something useful. These require infrastructure and infrastructure requires funding. Didn't Rebel say the same thing earlier? Yep. If plastic credits help fund the initial infrastructure, then Rebound can help offtake the newly recycled plastic waste. Maggie also said it's not just recycling equipment that can be founded. Corporates that generate a plastic footprint in Thailand look to a plastic credit system as a way for them to offset this plastic footprint. But um, in many parts of Asia, especially where I am in Southeast Asia, um, there's just a tremendous amount of plastic leakage and accumulation up there in the oceans and in in nature. That really requires this type of work. We've launched this program since a year ago, and it's been seeing quite a lot of success in terms of having um, many projects that are lining up to be registered. Maggie mentioned that it takes a while for them to evaluate and document these projects. And they need to be audited by a third-party auditor as well. And the process isn't always cheap. It costs from one thousand U.S. dollars and upward, depending on the complexity of the project approval. Plastic credits is the last resort, and also an excellent tool to facilitate cleanups, and also、um, collection and recycling. So we're not saying that. Plastic credits is the first thing that companies should look into. Actually, it's the contrary. They should only use plastic credits after they have looked into their、um, supply chain within their supply chain. Every nook and corner, you've already examined every opportunity, and that now you know that there's still、um, plastic, virgin plastic, to be used. And that's when you look into net circularity through plastic credits. Plastic debris are floating into a country to other countries through river and in the ocean. Plastic pollution is spread、uh, beyond borders. It is necessary to have international treaty to tackle on plastic pollution. Michikatsu Kojima, an economist based in Japan and previously Indonesia, works with the Economic Research Institute for ASEAN and East Asia. He told us that voluntary initiatives. Are not enough to curb plastic waste in Asia, and he gave a really good example of an often ignored plastic waste stream in the ocean called ghost fishing gear, where fishermen trolled in the high seas just dump their unused nets and equipment over the side of their boats. Regarding uh, uh, ghost fishing gear, we do not have a good data collection、uh, mechanism. Recently, Japanese government made survey to fishing industries to estimate sea-based、uh, leakages by collecting data. But there are many types of fisheries. It may take a time to have good estimation of ghost fishing gear. And we don't have time anymore. Whether it's fishing nets tossed into the ocean, or single-use plastics being left on beaches, or plastic pellet spills from marooned ships. All of these plastic pollution sources need to be documented, recorded, and solutions found to contain them. 
Yep, all that takes money. And we talked about a couple new ideas for funding these solutions: plastic credits and a recycled plastic trading platform. And hopefully that happens alongside a UN Global Plastic Treaty in a couple years. I just hope that people don't give up, and like with Rebound and the UAE, they take a risk and just try something, anything new. So why Rebound and and why did UAE、uh, take a step in on this and and lifted it is really because you know no one could say no because everyone dreams of a planet without plastic pollution. We're not saying that Rebound is the only solution or the hundred percent、uh, you know trackway to reach that, but it's part of the solution. Yeah, I definitely dream of Chinese waters without plastic pollution. Sometimes dreams come true, right? This season on the Global Plastic Treaty was produced in partnership with the China Environment Forum at the Wilson Center, and sponsored by the Japan Foundation Center for Global Partnership. My name is Marcy Trent Long. I was standing in this episode for our guest co-host Jennifer Turner of the China Environment Forum. Uyu Fei of Sustainable Asia was our co-host and associate producer for this episode. A big thank you to our guests Doug Woodring and Miriam Almansuri of Rebound, Maggie Leah Vera, Dr. Simi Chaya of the Thailand Environment Institute, and Michi Katsu Kojima with the Economic Research Institute for ASEAN and East Asia. Alexander Mobison created the intro-outro music made from repurposed and recovered waste items. Thank、you